So my wife says it all the time, and it's beautiful. She, she always says you can't have a testimony without a test. Kind of feels like the biggest responsibility I have in my world right now is trying to be an awesome parent. Really, I believe forgiveness is more for us than it really is for the other person. I kind of firmly believe that everyone is capable of and deserving of empathy, but I do believe it is a muscle that you have to exercise. The full quote is, if you come to a great chasm in life, jump, it's not that far. Because I feel like you never really stop growing. And if you have stopped growing, like you're already dead in the water. You know, stagnation is synonymous to death. You are now embarking on the imperfect experience. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Imperfect Pod, where we discuss masculinity more intentionally and purposely. This week's episode is Ben Kiloy, military veteran, father, husband, and overall great man. He is the founder of his own podcast, The Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where their goal is to bring every military dad home where family is their legacy. I'm very excited to have Ben on this week. We discuss a lot about dreams, his masculinity story, his three kids, why he's so passionate about fatherhood, as well as masculine and feminine energies. I really think you're going to love this episode. And Ben has been a great role model to me in the podcasting world. He's helped me out a lot, helped provide me with different resources for growing my podcast and becoming better. And uh, just wanted to shout him out for that as well before we get into the episode, but that's going to happen now, and I hope you look forward to it. On this episode, I'm really excited to have Ben Kaloy uh, with me. And the first question I always ask my guest, Ben, is who is one person, dead or alive, that you'd like to get dinner with or have over for dinner, and what would you cook for them? Ooh, I think in this particular case, I would have to pick a fictional character, and I would pick MacGyver. And so my mind works like MacGyver. I just have loved the way his mind works in that TV show. I love his, the humanist that he brings in that character, that every life matters, no matter what stage or what area of life. And he's always leaning in and he's, he sacrifices a lot of himself more than he should. It's kind of a, a character fault. I would just like to know, like, just to have a conversation. I wouldn't even really want to know anything, really. I think... I think I would just love to have a conversation and get it pierced into his mind of how it works, how he, how he chooses where to put his energy. And like, even the DVD series, like there's so much of MacGyver that I've kind of just brought, brought into. I bought all the seasons of DVD when I was in Okinawa. So I binge watched them there. They've gone through the streaming cycle. They've been on Amazon, Netflix. And it was even something that my son and I would watch. He would wake up early in the morning. And we would go downstairs and watch MacGyver together. And it was just kind of this bonding time that we would share MacGyver over. And like, it's just something that I've always admired, but then also just always thought of myself as my brain or explained it in a way that my brain puts random things together. And he, MacGyver helps me feel a little bit less weird. I think that's fascinating because I, I don't even know what number, what episode number this is, but I can tell you this for sure. You are the first person that has picked a fictional character. There's been some thought process about it. You know, I've had a lot of people pick their grandparents because uh, either they've passed away and they're young men, they wish that they could talk to their grandparents. Um, I've had people be like, why would anyone pick anyone alive? Because you can meet them. But I've never had anyone pick a fictional character. So congrats, Ben, for being the first one to do that. <laughs> now, now I'm back to being weird again. No, you're normal as, man, that, that 
I've never, I never even thought about that angle. So I think, man, shout out to you for even taking that angle in the first place. But I guess it, I know you said like, not, you wouldn't really want to know anything specific, but my follow-up question to that is always, what is something that you want to, would want to talk about? I know you highlighted some things, but why don't you just kind of go deeper into that? I think I would want to dive into, so part of the MacGyver series is, is that his grandfather raised him after his parents died. And the show unwraps a little bit of how they kind of had a conflicted relationship but then there was so much of how it, the life experience that his grandfather gave him that he took into his own life, like a lot of the outdoorsness, the, the, the people, everything. There's a lot of his grandfather in MacGyver. And I think I would want to just kind of unpack, like, because later in the series, he really starts to ad- identify with what his father or grandfather gave him. His grandfather passes away in the series. So I would just like to dive into what his reflection back on what that man in his life had. Because so many times, like, and a little bit like for my story, my my grandma was at the end of our driveway. And so she was there every single day. And she was like a warm chocolate chip cookie that was always there. She always said love. She always said something for you to eat. If you felt sad, she would make you a pie. And that was a huge impact in my life. I learned to sew well before I learned a lot of other things that boys should do. Because that's where she was. And I didn't have any brothers. So like those early connections, like his grandfather, they can have a huge connection to you, who you are. And I attribute my grandmother to a lot of the emotional part that I am easily to come out as, but I'm not really as self-identified as a Marine that cries openly with, for happy and sad endings of a movie. I think that, I think that's a beautiful reason for why you picked him in the first place. And, and the depth of that answer just showed in that process. Um, so kind of want to share a little bit about who you are, what your story is. I know you, we kind of talked beforehand about how you have a masculinity story. So why don't you kind of go into that? And then I'll start asking you more questions based off of those things. So I'll give the highlight reel first, and then we'll reel back and we'll dive in. So the highlight reel is right out of high school, I joined the Marine Corps, served from 2003 to 2007. Got out of the Marine Corps with the basic idea that my life was on hold. I wanted to start a family. Got married about maybe nine, or not to get married, but I found my wife that I married to now about eight months after getting out. We got married that next fall of 2010. And here we started having kids. And now I have three, so I have eight, five, and three. And so I've got a family. I live just south of Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm currently on a journey to help other military dads reconnect with their families. Fatherhood is something that's deeply passionate of who I am is what I love being more and more. But as, if I were to rewind a little bit, the, the part that isn't in that success story is that for most of those, like for the first 30 years of my life, I always kind of felt alone. I didn't feel like I fit in and I didn't feel comfortable being myself. And like even in high school, I would often feel like I had to manipulate who I was to try to fit in. Like if there was a clique that looked really popular and like they all looked happy, I would try to fit in by doing whatever I thought they were doing. But every time you try to fit in, you lose a little bit of yourself. And in the Marine Corps, you have a lot of commonality, so you can get along very easily. And you learn, as now I was probably tapping into some of the things if I were to reflect back of what I love myself now. But they were still very, like, I didn't trust them. Like, if I looked in the mirror, I still saw a dumb farm boy from Wisconsin that wasn't going to do anything special. That mentality of being the dumb farm boy, that story that I played, was so auto-governing of everything. So if you look in the mirror and you see a dumb farm boy, there's no way that you can be strong masculine husband or even understand what masculinity is. And as a culture, we've taken the word masculinity and we've warped it with 15 definitions of all kinds and makes it even harder to self-identify with the version of masculinity that you can understand. And so that idea of masculinity always was kind of like just something I kicked down the curb because I couldn't figure out 
what it was. I couldn't figure out how to be it because inside I just always felt weak. And that's the person I saw in the mirror. I just saw this weak boy that would get punched in, in high school or in middle school at any time. I was always bullied. Like, so that's all I could see myself. I could never see myself as a strong person that could step into my role as a husband, a man, and just be myself. And through the process of unpacking everything that is a self-growth journey, I mean, I probably started self the development to maybe in like 2015, but it wasn't until just this past winter that I dove into a Tony Robbins program called the ultimate relationship. And he dives into masculinity really deeply there. He, and he, one of his superpowers is he can go from masculine to feminine really quickly, like a light switch in his seminars. And he, he shows masculinity in a way that's very simplistic that I could see it right in front of me because he shows transformations and videos in this course that he takes or that I was taking. And so you see like an hour long, what starts off as a catastrophe, the husband and wife just yelling and just ready to like end it all. Like they're there as their last ditch effort to try to save everything. And you're like, there's no way that this can come back. And then Tony does his magic. He works people through. And at the end of the day, the only thing the man did was he, they just stepped into their power to receive the wind and emotions that their wife was bringing up without being triggered. That every time previously is something strong that their wife would bring them, they would run. They would retreat because it would trigger some story inside that would pull you back. And that was me. Like there's so many times in several different, not just marriage, but I was triggered in a way that I would retreat at work. Anything that made me uncomfortable, my brain wanted to keep me safe. So I pulled back because that's what my survival mechanism did in the early days in high school to keep me safe. So that same method was applied to this. And when I saw them just step into that power and just receive those, that emotion, the storm, the wind, I've really kind of just stepped into this idea that like masculinity to me is this oak tree. Like you really just want to be able to have roots strong enough to know who you are, to be unwavering in your support and love. And no matter how strong the wind gets, you just want to say, I love you. You kind of want to be at Forrest Gump when I can't think of the, the officer's name, but when he's on the top of the, the shrimp boat in the middle of that hurricane, just screaming at Jesus, like he's not angry. He's like loving that moment. You can't necessarily bring a, an argument into masculinity. Like I often have this idea, like if I'm presenting myself in a mode of I'm trying to be right, then I'm not presenting myself in a way to be love or to bring love to the conversation. And you can't love someone and try to be right at the same time. And if you're trying to be right, then you're trying to validate some internal story that you, you have. But if you already love everything inside, you don't need validation. Like part of that process for me in December, I really looked in the mirror and I'm like, I don't love everything that looks back at me. And that in reflection made me realize that you can't love something unconditionally if you don't unconditionally love yourself. You can't just pick and choose the good parts and the bad parts. You have to go an all-in strategy of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And when you do that, every part of you, good, bad, and the ugly, made you exactly who you are. And if you love exactly who you are, you can always bring love because whatever you receive doesn't trigger anything because you're comfortable with everything that's happened and you've made peace with it. And it, until you can make peace internally, you're always going to kind of bring a, a fractured or not as strong approach to your to a feminine when that feminine is extremely strong you need to be unwavering in your support but that comes from being unwavering in your love for yourself because then you can just reflect out and it's almost natural process so i'm not perfect at this i can have an idea about it now 
but I, in one thing I'm using for coronavirus is I'm taking this whole method and going all, all in on a 75 day health challenge, which is to drink a gallon of water, do two exercises, one inside, outside, and read 15 pages in a book and stick to a diet. So I am using Corona to really grow through this final idea because if I can get to a point that the outside matches the inside, it's kind of creates that harmony and then I can really step into that ability to always lead with love because I don't need to be right. It's not a matter. I have no need to be right because it, I, I already know what I know and I love what I am. And, and then the right isn't as important. Ben, there was so much in there that <laughs> you said that stood out to me, like just so much. I, I couldn't even keep up with writing all of it down because I, there was something that you said was every single time, every time you fit in, you lose a bit of yourself when with your, with your um, high school stories, man, that, I believe that so much because even in my own high school experiences, I didn't really feel like I fit in until grade 12. Like that's when I found my group and my group that stuck with me to now that I've, so it's been like six or seven years that we've been really tight. We've been really close friends, but grade nine, grade 10, grade 11, I felt like a total fraud of, or of who I was in school, always being like, I want to feel accepted. I want to feel validated. And I think that's just kind of like every high school story. But for me, I also came out of being homeschooled. So I didn't go to elementary school. So I was really alone in grade nine. Then you said something about, I wanted to challenge this a bit because I'm not sure if I, I totally agreed, but you said if you're trying to be right in the moment, you don't love them or, or, or some aspect of that. You can't, be, you can't love the person at the same time you're trying to be right. So if, you're, if, like, if you have a conflict in your marriage or a relationship and you're trying to argue to be right, because it, it happens all the time. And if you're in that moment trying to be right, in that moment, you're lessening your ability to unconditionally love her. Because whether you're right or wrong, you still need to be able to say, I love you with all my heart and all my soul. But when you try to prove to be right, like you lessen that impact of your ability to choose love. Because you're, you're, you're like willfully being like, I don't understand or I don't want to understand. Or you're trying to say to her that you're something less than I'm trying to see. Like your view on this isn't my view. And because I'm trying to get you to say you're wrong, that means that there's something inside that I don't truly value. And when you get to that point, like it's never like I almost I, I have gotten to the point where I don't worry about being right. It doesn't matter whether I'm right. I'm I always lean towards that that love angle because that's the harder actual task. You can if you skip the idea of trying to be right, the harder task is try to love and get to the method of where when you consistently say, It's not that I have to love her, but it's that I get to love her. And if you consistently can repeat that in your head to get to love her that helps you get through it. It's not about this argument. And that's something else. Like, like it's something, it happens with kids a lot. So whatever they're, they have a strong feeling. It happens like on the playground a lot. Like something would happen with my kids and she would come home and she would be completely dysfunctional in this one area emotionally, like just acting out, just the worst kind of behavior that you were like, just stop. But it's the good exa best example is the root problem is on the other side of the issue. And same thing with an argument like you could spend an hour arguing about something but in common in relationships what you're arguing about is never really the issue this is just what decided to be picked at so you focusing on this with all your energy is actually ignoring the true thing that she really needs to feel that she needs to feel that you're not going to run because maybe you actually feel defeated during this maybe you feel demasculated because you get proved wrong you're actually going to retreat probably and what tony teaches like your, your woman is always testing you and being always tested. They want to know whether you're truly going to be there with whatever they bring. 
like for them to open their feminine side, they need to feel that complete safety that whatever they open up with, you're going to be there to receive it in a way that's not going to scare you. And if you're in those arguments to be right or wrong, and you retract from that because of maybe the story that triggers that or the defensive mechanism or the worst side of you maybe comes out, that in itself proves that you're not what you're made, what you're saying to be that she can share that feminine side with you. Mm -hmm. I think that's so interesting too, because, you know, I'm still pretty young. I've never been in a relationship at the time of this recording. So who knows if that will change by the time this is released, but fingers crossed. But I always find that that is the interesting angle that I, that is going to come to me in my life is because I've, I've been single my entire life. I've never really known that idea of sacrifice or compromise in a lot of ways. And, you know, growing up that this idea of being right really mattered to me because I found a lot of validation that way. I'm someone that, you know, comes from a pretty proud family on, on one side where, you know, intelligence and knowledge and, and information is definitely seen as as high value. And so when I feel attacked in that way or I feel less intelligent, obviously it starts to come out in, in much more of like a DNA almost way than anything else. Like, oh, I'm inferior or whatnot. And so that idea of being right, I've never even really thought about it in the idea of love and right almost can't coexist in those moments. And so um, I think that's a really cool story that you shared there because that's something I'm trying to picture myself being. Um, you know, I don't I don't like to make a big deal out of a lot of things. Like that's just not my nature. I'm okay being wrong if it means kind of like not arguing, but that will kind of eat me alive until we communicate about that core issue, like you said. And I'm not really demasculated by a lot of like intelligent women or strong women. You know, I have a very strong mother. I've been around that in my entire life, very strong sisters. But there's obviously moments there that I haven't been tested that I'm really excited in my life to be tested for. But I never even thought about that angle until you kind of just said it. It's a powerful moment. And it, it can happen in so many different ways. I mean, arguments can happen and you want to, you don't necessarily want to like to keep your voice to yourself. Like if, if something needs to be said, you need to say it. Like that's not what I'm I'm saying here. But you need to recognize that and get to a point where you being right isn't something that you feed off of. And so many, I think, people that are like still struggling to deal with their ego or don't even recognize they have one, maybe that right is kind of the jet fuel that keeps their ego fueling. And I, I, everybody can picture one of those guys that has probably in their life that has to, and then they argue for everything. And it's just so flipping annoying. Like that in itself, just like it's a, a futile exercise. And maybe sometimes it's a mind game. Sometimes it's maybe they're trying to, to feed into some limiting belief, but. All of that is just like, it's trying to fill the voids that most people don't want to go in. Like I often use ego as like a, a flashlight that wherever your, your ego is the strongest, that's usually where you need to dive deeper into your self-growth because your ego is a protection mechanism that I've kind of framed it at or I've worked with myself on it is like where my ego is strongest, I'm trying to hide from something. There's an ego inflated somewhere that there's a shadow somewhere in my subconscious that I don't want to, for people to see. And your, your brain uses your ego to try to kind of like look over here, but not over here. And so wherever you feel your ego being activated, that's generally a protection mechanism more than it is something that you should value. Like there's something you're trying to hide. And all of those little, the ego, those, those hidden secrets in the shadows, those are what you can get triggered when someone comes into your life that really can just trigger one of those deep stories because your brain has an interpretation from that emotional feeling that you felt when it happened and you'll just relive that over and over but that ego is is going to try its best to fool you 
into thinking that everything's okay, but you gotta to pay attention. And for like, if I would have gone back and like worked, like there's so many things that I wish I would have figured out in the right after getting out because what I didn't, and what I, I kind of have the perspective now, like you want to get to a point like for yourself where you're not in a relationship, you want to get to a point where you can go into conversations. You can even go through the day. Like you feel like a million bucks throughout the day. Like your needs are being met. You can emotionally meet your needs without having to have other, like a whole nother person come into your life to, to fill a void that you haven't figured out how to deal with yet. Because a lot of times I, I, my new perspective is kind of like your relationship should be like gravy to who you are. They shouldn't be the meat and potatoes. You should already kind of be able to figure out the meat and potatoes and be that yourself. And you should already kind of feel complete without having someone else completely in your life. Like a lot of times people talk about marriage, like, Oh, you completely, but I think there's a lot of codependency that can actually self-sabotage. I know I've, I've had it in the same way that when you, because when you're meeting different needs like that, when that goes away, then what attracted you and brought you together is kind of not there. And then you're, and then you have a new area to deal with. You have a new problem because then you're, you're both trying to find a way to meet that need that somehow you're no longer meeting it there. Well, I find it really interesting that you said that because one thing that I've always kind of disliked, I guess, about even uh, like, I get the whole idea of two becoming one, you know, very biblical, very scriptural, or like, you know, you complete me, you make me whole. But I hate that idea just from like a language perspective, almost like it makes it seem like people are halves, like 0.5 plus 0.5 equals one. When I want to go into a relationship being one plus one equals two, like we're our both own separate individual people that have decided to come together and build something stronger. But I still am this person. And like you, it's almost the same analogy that you said as, as being the gravy and you're the meat and potatoes. It's like you're you're both one individual person and then you come together to make a bigger better life but you still are a complete person in yourself because i would never want to get lost beyond being who i am with someone else and i know that technically like that will typically happen if you're in a 30-year relationship obviously functionality with that one person is just going to naturally happen because you've been with someone for 30 years right but to still have your own key interest and still being invested in the other person like i wouldn't want to be in a relationship where i expect them to love my passions and do my passions with me, but I'd want them to be like, I'd want them to ask me about those passions and learn about them and have an interest in them, but I wouldn't care if they chose not to dedicate their time to it. Like one of the reasons you fall in love with someone is because of who they were on their own. And so you don't want to lose that in relationship. It's just like my natural thought. And the part that's not talked about, I had to go on my own journey to figure out is to be truly masculine and to bring that strength into a, a feminine energy or to be it in a strong enough way to build trust, to build security, to build that safety so that the feminine can appear or to, it, the feminine can come out. You have to be in a way, you have to feel complete without actually having a lot of those needs met. And that completeness allows you to step into a stronger version of your masculinity. So the strong, the, like I said, the more you can look in the mirror and love every part of yourself without having someone standing next to you, the sh stronger that you can bring your strength into the relationship, because then you're enhancing the energy within the relationship with your strength, your ability to have presence and to receive whatever storms of emotions that your wife or your girlfriend can bring you. Because that's that's safety that she feels within that masculine energy. That's going to create the connection that lasts. That that's going to create the, 
the thriving relationship that Tony Robbins leads up to in the ultimate relationship. And but it's going, it's going to take you loving yourself first in order to bring that security. Like you, you can't come into it like half filled because you're going to get triggered. There's going to be something that deflates you and your, your, your inner critic is going to tell you, like, I told you so. I told you you couldn't do it. I told you you were a piece of crap. But when you look in the mirror and you can just kind of like snap your fingers and say, like, get the hell out of my head. That's where you can like, okay, I'm just going to keep going because it's just my head and I'm not, it's not real because I look in the mirror, I can see exactly who I am still. Yeah. And you've mentioned the term letting the feminine out a couple times. And I want to kind of ask you what that meant, because is that letting the feminine out of yourself? Is that letting like a, a woman into your life? Kind of what did that mean in, in the language that you were using? So I think it's from like the context of a woman that like men and women both can go from masculine to feminine. We both have the ability, whether we choose to or not, it's a different uh, podcast probably or a different podcast episode, but you have the ability to go from both to the other. And for women, they go to the masculine as part of the protection when they need to protect themselves to keep them like kind of the flight or flight, like the caveman brain. They need to use the masculine to have control, to organize, to be a leader that takes a, a the step into the masculine, but to truly step into the feminine where you, it, it can be playful. It can be energetic. It's the, just a basic, when the, it, it happens with my wife all the time, like, like she'll smile and it will just, you, I feel different. Like it happens almost instantly. That smile when she's, I can feel it. That's her feeling safe and stepping out of that masculine where she needs to control everything. And like, if you think of like cuddling, Cuddling is kind of like where you're, where she's cocooning within your energy to feel safe. And, but you're not going to get to that point where she's going to want to cuddle or cocoon into your presence unless she feels safe around you. And if you're insecure about who you are, then it, it's just not going to mess. You're, she's going to keep her masculine on to protect herself because she doesn't trust you because if your wife or girlfriend can't trust you with the little things, how is she going to bring you the big things? And it's those little tests, those little things. Did you follow up on what you said you're going to do? That creates that safety that allows that feminine, which is when you get those truly, when you become masculine, that's when you have like the passionate sex, the passionate everything. Like you just, when you're around each other, you feel like a better human being. But if you're both masculine, that's often where you're both rubbing each other and like trying to control a situation. and coming at it from a point of maybe trying to be right like two masculine energies is usually where i'm right you're wrong but that's again you can't love that type of energy you want to just love exactly who she is and that's why you can't try to be right and love her at the same time mm -hmm. and so what is your opinion on on men then letting their feminine out or how do you how do you do that how do men do that and why is that a healthy behavior as well so the part that i think so there's the strength that I've, so I've always been the other way. Like I've always been more feminine. Like I could, I can cry. I can feel, I've always been a sponge for emotions. I've now gotten to the point where I can talk about my feelings regularly. And so I think the duality of it is you want to be strengthful and be a strength to receive whatever comes towards you. But at the same time, there's also the conflict that you need to be open and vulnerable, which is kind of your feminine that you need to let your guard down because that's also how people come close to you too. Like when you're in your masculine, you're not necessarily going to attract other friends, maybe for example, like another uh, guy friend, 
But if you share something vulnerable using your feminine energy, that in itself creates this kind of safe space for another man to come in. So when you tap, like if you're sharing your, if I share a story, like I share my story about friendships quite a bit, that I didn't have a lot of friends growing up. And when I do that, I'm, I'm sharing it in a very safe way because I, I, I'm not triggered whether someone gets upset by this or not. So I share it. But that safety is very, it kind of, it sounds weird to say, but it's very attractive to someone that's trying to have it under control because it's, it, it just helps validate that they're an internal feeling. So you need to be able to go both ways because they both have a purpose. And even within your marriage, like you want to have that, like there's the husbands that don't feel anything and their wives have been trying to get them to feel something for 25 years. Like it's okay to bring a feeling to your relationship, but it's also not okay to necessarily like try to use your wife as the counselor. Like that's where you need other men in your life. Like for millennia, men did life in tribes. And we did that in a way that was safe and supportive because if we were having a heavy heart, we could share it with other men. And that was a very safe place for us to, to rebuild to step back into our masculine role in the marriage. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important to find those safe places of other men there to support you. Cause you know, there's some groups of men that may encourage poor behavior or, or bad behavior. So it's really important that when you choose these types of men or you choose these groups that they support you for the best behavior and the best of it. And I really liked what you said there because I feel like my whole life, I've been much more on the feminine side as well. And it's so true. And one of the reasons I love this podcast and why I started it is because I feel like I've been given a gift to open up myself and make other guys feel safe. Uh, so for example, last night I posted on my Instagram this huge post about you know, how I've been overweight my entire life and I've always been kind of ashamed of my body. And I posted it because on the Sunday or this past Sunday, I felt really heavy on my heart that I had to post it. Like it was the same feeling that I got if I was in class and I had to say something or if I saw a girl and I had to say something. Like if I don't, I know I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. But I just remember feeling it on my heart to post and I posted it last night and I've had so much response from other guys in my life. And I'm trying to start this challenge on, on uh, Instagram, be like own your insecurity challenge where you literally just share openly one of your biggest insecurities. And I had a lot of guys reach out to me just being like, you know, just the fact that you were able to do this. And there, some of these guys have like really nice bodies from my perspective. And they're like, I've been ashamed of my body or I'm ashamed of this. I'm ashamed of this. And it's just been, I find so much value in the ability that I have to open up first, like you said, and 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 creating those spaces for people to share. And this, the, again, the main reason I started this podcast and, and, you know, when you and I talked the first time, you're like, you know, you're on this journey for you. And I, I think that is very true. I'm on this journey for me because I want to use the skills that I believe I have to create these opportunities for young men to, to follow along. And you're on a journey, like there's not one definition of masculinity. Everyone finds their own version. And that's like the beauty of it as well. Like there is, and there's no right or wrong. I, mean, I would say that I guess the only wrong way is when you use it as a weapon, like in the toxic masculinity where you're using it in a way to objectify women, but in the kind of where you're trying to show it with the strength of love. Like if you're taking the words masculinity and love into some definition, you're most likely creating your own definition. And I think that's the, the research experiment that you're on is really identifying your own version of masculinity to step into. and it's a learning pro like I'm 35 years old and I went through most of my life without a solid definition of this. And until you can look in the mirror and see a person of strength, I think that's something that I've really noticed in the last few months. When you look in the mirror and see strength physically and not even like muscle, like I'm talking like, not talking like a, a massive 
bodybuilder, but just when you see and feel strength on the outside and the inside, that strength is one of those first feelings that I'm feeling now. So part of 75 hard, I'm doing hundred pushups and I'm doing T25 from Beachbody and I'm on day 30 and I can already see strength in the mirror. I can already feel strength when I look down at my chest and I see my chest in the mirror. And a couple of years ago, I would have said, I don't want to be a bodybuilder. It's not important for me to have muscles, but I was just being ignorant and lying to myself of what I didn't really want to go towards that the idea of stepping into a masculinity is probably internally scared the hell out of me. And my ego using it as a detective again, was trying to protect me and say, I don't need to be that. I can be something with else. But I was really trying to hide that scared Ben Colloy that was afraid to step into his strength and find his feminine and masculine and really own who he was as a person. Yeah. And I loved what you said at, at the beginning of that, which is, you know, there's no one definition. And I think that's so true. That's what part of the journey as well is like, I, I hated the the terminology being kind of used in media that there's one perfect way of, of man and there's this toxic way like even the tom, term toxic masculinity like i don't know what it is and and i think that even like a lot of people use the term as stoic as toxic or like non-emotional as toxic i don't really think those are toxic unless they have poor results in that person's life but if that person is stoic and that's the way they get through life and they're they're fine with it then that's fine with them but if they're doing it to cover or you know, not be able to respond to trauma or some aspect. And I'm like, that's when it's kind of unhealthy and you have to, you have to navigate that for sure. But I, again, I think the same thing as you is like, if you're objectifying women, which, you know, a lot of every guy has in their life objectified a woman for the most part, like toxic behavior is part of all human behavior. That's just kind of how it goes. There's, there's toxic femininity, there's toxic masculinity, there's, you know, there's toxic like parts of race and, and all aspects of us. Right. And so I just believe that if we're labeling men as toxic or if men believe they're being labeled as toxic for a certain behavior that isn't necessarily toxic on its own, but maybe toxic in a bubble, then that you start to distance a lot of men. And I don't want men to be distanced. I want them to be able to share who they feel they are. And if they then are able to understand the other side and have empathy towards the idea that that behavior could be unhealthy, then that is kind of what I want to show them. I want to bring that light and shine a light on on the idea of toxic masculinity. Is this and how? Why are you responding the way that you are? Is it because that's the way you're raised? It's is it because you're hiding from trauma? You're running. You're not flashing your your ego flashlight in the right spot. Like what is it? Not to be therapy, just to, just to ask questions and get them to dig deeper into those things. So I guess like all that to say, like what is your definition of toxic masculinity? I know you said like or like what do you think about it? How do you think the media portrays it? And how do you think it it's kind of affecting young men right now? I think it creates a programming crisis that. Young men don't know because I think there's basic templates of masculinity that for centuries of our existence, people stepped into and then they evolved and became themselves. But right now, we don't have any real template that for even the young men to really step into to, to use as a base 1.0 programming to grow that programming into what it needs to be. And like, there's a, an example of um, that I've seen used like, if you see a like gorillas are. Or a good example of this like when you see a bunch of gorillas crossing a clearing or a road the male gorilla is always out there protecting like that's masculinity that protection is something that's inherent within masculinity that strength to make sure the people behind you the ones you love are protected and cared for like that's an animal within the basic animal kingdom that's not 
affected by our human condition. Like those are examples that we have inside. And so I think the toxic side just comes in when you try to use it to try to be right. It's probably good a way to, when you use masculinity in a way to prove a point, you're using it in a way that's, that's not conducive to a positive outcome. And when you use it to inspire someone on the inside and take action, that's, that's okay. Like you're just like us right here. We're putting words to masculinity that some people will attach to and some people won't. We're not saying like my definition is right, but there are people that are saying this is the right, this is the wrong. And I think that's what really hurts the whole movement. And you talked about the vulnerability part there as well, that there's something that I kind of shortcut vulnerability for explanations. Like the world is waiting for others to go first. And when you go first, you give the power to, for someone to go second. That's someone that's using their femininity to do that with. But, and then when you have the both, that's where you get the strength of to, to receive what you need to receive in life from someone else and to be a friend and not have to worry about like running from whatever your friends bring in you versus then just also helping someone else feel something. Like when you gift words to someone and emotions are put to words, I've said things that made people cry. That wasn't my intention, but the way I said it, the words and the emotion almost just overwhelmed them. And that was like the denying of the feminine part. Like there's been grown men that I've talked about friendships that I've made cry. Well, that was their masculine trying to keep control never allowing the feminine to really acknowledge the the things that they needed to acknowledge to improve upon. When you have these imbalances, that's what F's people's programming up. Like you need the yin and the yang, the, the feminine to, to kind of express what you're really feeling because everyone has real feelings, whether you deny them or not. And you need the masculine to be able to move past them, to, to, de- to deny that emotion fact and say, I feel this, but it's not true. So I'm going to be strong and strength and move forward again. But you have to believe in yourself enough to love yourself enough to take action despite that crappy feeling that you're having. Yeah. And I love how we've talked about like loving yourself. And I, even the, the one you talked about earlier about looking in the mirror and loving that, that side of you, because you can't unconditionally love yourself if you don't accept all of you. And I, I think that's so true. And, and a phrase that I use quite often is, you know, if you don't love yourself, nobody else will just because if you don't love yourself, you're not going to accept the other, the love that other people have for you, which it's, it's a very aggressive kind of way of saying it. And I've said it in, in university classrooms. It's a perfect way, but life's never perfect, but it's definitely the object of your, your goals. Like that's where you want to be. And I don't think you ever get there because every season of your life will have struggles that will force you to keep growing and to find new strength and new ways to anchor yourself being the oak tree. But when you have that idea of loving yourself more than everything else around you, then you can truly bring that strength and peace that can calm a crazy child. Like a triggered parent can't untrigger a triggered child. But if you're tapped into your masculine strength, but, and you can feel what they're feeling, empathize with it, then you can receive that storm that they're feeling. And I've done it. Like my kids, I'll just get up and I'll, I'll just give them a big hug. And like, I'm not triggered. I'm not upset. There are times that I'm upset and maybe I'm triggered. But my objective is always to try to get to a place where I can just, it doesn't bother me that we're having a, that she's not listening. She's feeling something. I use my feminine to feel what she's feeling with it. And then I use my masculine to kind of make sure that it, she feels safe with that feeling and that it's not judged as bad or good. It just is. You let it be and you help them move through it. Like that's the power of masculine energy when you can step into it properly. 
Yeah. One thing that I guess I've never really understood about the whole conversation about men and women and, and kind of gender norms, I guess, is I think that there's so much there that is inherently masculine and feminine or male and female. And like one of the things that kind of annoys me about the conversation is how it's spun to sound like it's bad that men and, and women are inherently different. But I think like, you know, it's not a bad thing that women are naturally more maybe caring or loving or affectionate, like openly. I think it's bad that we use that in ways that then says, now you have to stay home and not work. Like that is kind of where I think the, the bad comes from is using that to make an excuse for separation or segregation or like inequality. And that makes make the, the argument complicated too. Like it just adds a whole nother complexity that it's not needed. There's the biological parts, but then there's also the idea that anybody can be anything. And the military is a perfect example. Like the military has evolved to a point where now women are serving in combat roles because they're physically capable of doing it. But we kind of had the, the we can't assume that they can be masculine enough to, to be the same kind of masculine, but we both can tap into the same kind of energy, but it's when you're both in, when you align your masculine with your male presence, with your feminine and your female, like that's where the polar attraction happens, but you both have the infinite ability to tap into both at any given time. Yeah. Like I, 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 that's the one part that I've always been like, why doesn't anyone talk about this? It's toxic that we assign motherhood or parenthood automatically to the mother because she necessarily has these traits when a man is just as much able and capable of learning and practicing and implementing those those systems into their life like yes they're different but now you see women i, th I think hr and and just the idea of servant leadership has really skyrocketed in corporate world just because you see so much more so many more women kind of offering that side that perspective of leadership into the role. Not to say that men didn't have that, but I think now you're just seeing that shift because honestly, women have maybe come in and been like, you know, we're tired of this kind of totalitarian or tyrant type of leadership. Let's, let's add this women's touch. And you've seen so much more diversity and inclusion and all that into the workplace because of it. Like, that's just my thesis. There's, I don't think there's any science to back that up. <laughs> there is something that I, I, I read an article. I don't know the name of the chemical, but when a a child is born, there's a chemical that they knew about that was in the mother. And they did a study and started measuring the, the level of the chemical in the father and the mother. And they assumed the part in the mother was part of like breastfeeding. It's a biological change they go through. But the crazy part they found was the exact same quantity of the chemical was in both fathers and mothers. They both had a biological connection where their chemistry was actually aligned towards feeling a connection toward this child that they brought into life, even though only one person actually delivered that person and and had that connection for eight months the father still has that same equal chemical connection to the kid and this is why i love fatherhood because the same crappy definitions of masculinity and femininity and gender roles has led to that the role of a father isn't as important and there was a brilliant keynote that i i got sucked into watching and i'm glad i got sucked into watching it and it was a divorce lawyer in Nevada and she's a divorce lawyer for dads and she often was t she opened the keynote and it's like in court the moms often go to you don't know what their last grades were you don't know what what their favorite colors you don't know what their favorite meals is as a reason why the father's a bad father and she's like but the questions they always know and the moms typically don't is what are their greatest fears what do they what are their aspirations what keeps them up at night that like that's what the father generally knows 
because that's our masculine strength that we bring to the situation. That's our protection mechanism that we can bring that part. That's our connection within a child's life. And so much of the court system invalidates that idea of what a father can bring and that anchor of feeling that strength that like it's safe to feel something for a woman. That feeling is something that the court system only doesn't validate. And it's often catapulted by this confused definition or even just understanding like, oh yeah, a kid can survive with just a mother. Like it's biological. They need both of them in their life. And the mom is definitely going to pay attention to more details because that's part of who they are. But the father's definitely, like, for my daughter, I, and as soon as I heard this, I was like, I do the same thing. I talk to my daughter about her fears. I talk to her about her feelings. There's role have to play in their daughter's life. Like, or even our, my son, I am helping him try to define himself being a confident man. He's only five, so we're in the early stages. But that's my role to help him identify with who he is as a person and a man and how we can and step into the life. But that's something that the court system doesn't acknowledge. And it's a, the whole thread of masculinity and femininity is threaded through that court system. And it just all gets this giant muck, which doesn't allow the issues to really change unless you get people like the, the TED Talk that I was watching to really step out there and say, like, fatherhood matters. And it's finally starting to change that the role that fathers play in their kid's life. Like there's even an entire network that I've discovered that have stay at home dads that where the wife is the one that makes all the money and has the career. And the dad chooses to be a dad and provider over having a career. Like that's a hidden story that no one's talking about. No one really acknowledges. I didn't even really acknowledge. I didn't even know it existed until I was at a dad conference. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you're like my hero. And like, I'm at the point where I would just rather be dad. Like I love being a dad and being this version of what I need to be for my kids more than I value anything else of career, college. None of that really matters because right now this is where I want to be. Mm -hmm. I think that's beautiful. And I'm going to look up the divorce lawyer, Nevada Ted talk after, because that is a person, an angle I want to take on the podcast. I think that'd be a fascinating episode to talk about all that in depth. And the fact that she's a female divorce lawyer fighting for men, I think it just adds another layer of, of You're complexity. Gonna get like goosebumps when you watch it. I'll send you the link for it. I got the link. All right. For it. Perfect. Yeah. Name. I would love that. And then that, that was a great transition into the next topic. Obviously I want to talk about, which is fatherhood. I have a lot of listeners that love the idea of, of fatherhood and the parental side of things and the maternal side of things that I kind of have on the podcast. And so I always like taking that angle when they do have kids, because as I get more guests, I am scaling up in terms of age and experience and, and family. So, you know, you talked about it there that you would rather be a dad than almost anything else that you went to a dad's conference. What has like fatherhood and being a dad meant to you in your life as a man? If it first kind of makes you realize like first, it scares the hell out of you. You go through like, oh my gosh, these human beings are. And my first daughter was born like when I was 29 and my midlife crisis 30 was like, I had the fear of dying alone. Like I didn't have any friends. I didn't have anybody quality that was going to care whether I was here. And so I went with this idea of like, what kind of example am I being right now? And now looking back, like I didn't have this awareness back then, but like your daughter will go out into the world to find a copy of who you were. Every boyfriend will be a measurement up to her father. And if you know the joke of a dad with a shotgun to the door when her daughter brings home the first date, probably not fully true, but it, it's a good way to explain it. Like that dad really wasn't the best dad because if he was, he had nothing to fear. Like if he knew in his heart that he set the bar extremely high of how to treat a woman, how do, how do you value yourself as a woman? 
that then you should have no fear because every person will be measured up against the father that you were. And I think this is where even like daddy issues come from. Like when daughters don't understand who they are and, and that feeling inside and that first love comes from their father, they go out and seek it from anybody that's willing to give it to them. And it creates that, the conflict or they're, that's, that's, they're, they're seeking that energy that they never had gifted inside them in the beginning that they like even my daughter like one of my greatest fears is, is like she's gonna grow up in an instagram world that's dictated by how many followers like how much you love yourself can be determined by how many followers you have it's like your value is determined by your belief of yourself and whatever you believe about yourself that's what matters and so for, as you, to answer your question like for me what it meant to be a father is like the ability to take something raw and uncut and then help them figure out how to fit into the world so I am a big believer that in order to figure out how you fit in the world, you got to get outside of your life. You can't see where you should go in your life by staying inside it. Like going to school for 12 years isn't going to be how you figure out how you fit into the world. You have to experience on the outside, experience different cultures, different people. That's how you fit into it. So for me, it's about creating lasting legacy that's generational. Like if I create three amazing human beings, then that will keep rippling and you can do a lot yourself to change the world, but the best chance that you have is actually your kids. And I love what you said that um, the measured up against the man that you were. And I've had another person on, Marcus Ogden. He he also had a very good. We also had a conversation about you know rate because he has two daughters about the idea that they will look for someone that treated them the way you treated them in the term of, of self-respect, self-love, self-worthiness. And it's such a true perspective because I, I have some female friends who struggle with that self level of self-love because either they've lacked a father or their father maybe wasn't you know, that loving or affectionate towards them. And now they're seeing the repercussions of that. And I've, I've been a person that says, you know, you are worthy of love. I'm the person that has been like, don't settle for this when I know that you have the potential for that. And I don't mean it in like a, I really want to date you way. I just mean it. It hurts me in my, inside that they didn't have a father represent what it means to truly love a woman in your life. And like, I, it's funny. I just had this conversation the other day with my mom because, you know, my, my dad loves my mom. Like I, I made a joke about how I wouldn't be surprised that if he had to, if he had to choose, he would choose her over us like any day. Like he loves us unconditionally, but he loves her unconditionally more. And like, that's the way I put it. But that's the way it should be. Like hit that commitment to your mom. Yeah. Is the end of his life that's exactly what she said yeah you betrayed him by leaving the house and that's what most people don't get in their mind like your kids are going to betray you like it's pure love it's exciting it's going to change your life forever but it will betray you there is a point where you're going to be an empty nest and if you don't prioritize your wife as the most important commitment in your life you're going to be strangers because oftentimes you can live vicariously through your kids or prioritize that but if you don't prioritize that first commitment that you made before you've been brought kids into the world, you're eventually, it's just going to bankrupt and you're not going to know how you got there and it's going to be over. There was a guest that gave me this kind of shortcut, like always kiss your wife first. And even in the early days, like letting your kids see that, like, I, I love you and I'm glad I'm home and I'm glad you gave me a hug, but I'm going to kiss my wife first and reminding them that she's more important than even you. That Yeah, that's that's exactly what my mom said. She's like loving you as children or loving her as a mother 
is loving us as children. Like that is proof that he loves us by putting her first. And I was I'd like, I never even thought about that way. And it's funny that that's like the first thing that you said is that's how it should be because it never even occurred to me like that. But I also found it really interesting how you've talked more about um, your daughter on this podcast as, as a representation of a man that you are than your sons. And I, wa- I wanted to see if there was a reason behind that or it's like that kind of just accidental, like that subconscious or, or what's like, why do you put more value into that? I would say. Uh, Cause one, the, my daughter is the oldest. So the, the, the R and D lab in my head is prioritized with it, with her first, unfortunately, but at the same time, I would say it's probably a little bit of an insecurity maybe because if I didn't really understand myself how to be masculine and it was probably a fear of, of him. And I, I grew up as a single brother, didn't have, I had two sisters, one on each side, older and younger, and he has the exact same. He's in the middle, older and younger. So there's probably like, I have a fear that he's going to end up in a, a dangerous place where I was, where I didn't have that male connection. I didn't have those solid good friends that could help get me to where I needed to go or like just breathe back into me the like, you're a cool guy, Ben Coy. Like that would have been something awesome to say when I was in eighth grade. Like that, maybe a little bit of fear there. But I think also, if I'm honest, I think a lot of it is like right now he's five. And I think it's more important for our relationship to have safety than it is to kind of worry about building that right definition. Because when your kids are young, like I, my method is um, like, make sure that it's safe to talk about the small things. So that way they understand they can bring you the big things. And I think for my son, it's just in those early stages, they're just learning how to be a boy. It's destructive. It's construction. It's my front flower bed looks like a freaking crater because the boy is outside. Just be destructive, to be creative, to be a builder. Like, I think that's, I think, I think he's already naturally doing that process on his own. And I think from, at least from my view right now, I think I've got it to a nice point where we're, we're just doing it gradual. I think he's in kindergarten. So probably next year where he starts to level up a little bit. I think that's maybe where we'll, I've been thinking about trying to do a, um, probably the one thing I'm next with him is I think men are more stages that it's not a woman is kind of a continuous growth process, but I think men go through like evolutions of an exercise. So I've, I've read that a lot of like, you want to take your kids on a rite of passage when they're like seven, 10, 12, like this says on the other side of this exercise you just did with your father, you learned about life. You learned about a little bit of lessons about women and what you need to be and all those different little wisdoms. And I think for men, it's more about the trials of the, of what we have inside. And I think those little exercises are where that comes out more than something else. Mm-hmm. I think I love what you just brought up about uh, rites of passage too, because in so many of my conversations with both experienced and young men, it's this conversation about how important rites of passage are and being told that you're a man very verbally, being told and and announced that you are a man and how we've kind of lost a lot of those traditions. So I love how you brought that up in that regard. And and what I think is, is it's those templates that we talked yeah. about. Like if you don't have a template, you kind of remain in the boy stage. Yeah. It always needs his mom. Yeah. And and that's very true too. Like man, no one no woman hates a mama's boy more like like so many women hate that right like they just they hate that like in or the dependency that codependency that you always need something from someone else and i'm not sure exactly psychologically what's missing but it's definitely come back to that you've got to be okay with the meat and potatoes of yourself and you can't need something else from someone else to feel happy like you need to feel happy all on your own because then everything else in your life becomes gravy and that gravy is delicious but it's gotta you've got to be the meat and potatoes yourself 
So do you think that being a mama's boy is more a fault of the parent or of the child? Well, I definitely think it's it's probably both. It's different stages of it. So it's probably, it's like in the early years, it's probably like the uh, like the helicopter parent. Like you don't really know what you're doing until you realize, wow, I'm, I'm surrounding him with, with safety nets everywhere. But at the same time, then I think there's a point that every adult male needs to go through and recognize and have that self-reflection and be honest. Is that something you're still running on autopilot without? Is that a story? That's a good, that's always the way I always like to say, is it a story that you need to feel happy? That you need to feel that like motherly love or that feeling of taking care of to feel happy? Like, is that what completes you? And if you need to be honest, if that is, because I was also the same case, I would say that I was a mama's boy. And it, the Marine Corps helped kind of catapult that a little bit, but it wasn't probably... I don't know, I turned maybe 27 when I like when you get married, that's kind of your first, but you kind of still feel like an imposter. You, you're doing manly things, but you're still a little boy inside. That's like the, going back to my story of being the dumb farm boy. I was still a dumb farm boy, not a dumb farm man. And boys don't grow up. They're still dumb and stupid in my head or that story. And it took me recognizing it and replacing it with one that I use now, which is I'm a, I'm a farm boy from Wisconsin that's going to help change the world. Man, that's a beautiful story. How did, so I guess kind of to, to close off, how did you come to that idea that you went, like you've accepted this fact that you were a farm boy and now you're using that as a power to say that you are going to change the world? So I guess one would be, how do you see yourself changing the world? And two would be, how did you take ownership of being that farm boy? So it wasn't something that just was like, it hit me. I was actually a Tony, a Tony Robbins podcast or an episode. And he was doing a transformation. It was like a 30 minute cut in of a transformation into a seminar. And it was an Iowa guy. And he quickly started pulling the threads that this guy was giving him. And essentially he's and the, I can't remember if it was a guy or Tony put the words, but he's like, I'm just a dumb farm boy from Iowa. That's never going to do anything special. And I heard that on the way to work. And I was like, whoa. That was just the words that I never actually knew. I had no idea this story even existed. Like it wasn't even a, a, a speck on my radar. And I think it also really just helped. It was also convenient when, you, when you've got a nice clear label then you can, you've identified the enemy. When you don't have an identified the enemy, you're really just firing into the wind and you're not, you're just shooting without actually knowing where you're shooting at. But when you have a target, and maybe not all of that story was fully true, but it definitely gave me a target to work towards because Every time I told someone, like, you're an idiot. You're not a dumb farm boy from Wisconsin. And, like, just kind of, one, getting that validation. But then as I just, I think it came through, like, one of my very first exercises that I kind of did was in my side hustle, my podcast that I have now for Military Dads, started as just a blog four years ago for trying to be a life coach for veterans. I had no idea what it was. I really had no clear anything other than the title was called True Purpose for Life. And I was just blogging and I would meditate and then read a blog and what I was feeling. That process of really processing my feelings really helped me able to look outward on what I was writing. Because honestly, after I wrote a blog post, the very first thing I was like, that's really good advice. I should take it. And it was my own advice. I mean, this is my own, myself writing a blog post. And I'm like, that's really good. Because I had a thousand versions of something in my head, but then only one version would come out when I wrote. And there was something, I did a, one post that I was challenged to, and it was called Why I'm Worth It. And self-worth was always something. So this title was very pertinent to this. And it was just a friend 
writing a letter to myself of why I was worth it. But the trick was I was the friend. So I had to tell myself why I was worth living. And so I'm writing along, I'm going, doing the thing. And all of a sudden I tell myself like early in life, you think that all these people bullied you, they pushed you down and that all of this crap is what's holding you back. Like this is why you can't feel what you need to feel or step into what you feel what you want to. Like, why can't you get what you actually want out of life? And then I said, early in life, people push you down so that later in life you could pull people up. And I was like, whoa, where'd that come from? And that's probably still the most profound thing I've ever said to myself. That breadcrumb was probably like two years prior to me figuring out like the, the story. I didn't even figure out the story. But as I figured out the story and figured out that one of my strengths was words. And on the other side of me losing my job on January 27th of 2020, I realized that my gift of words wasn't something I was honoring. And lots of people had sent me like, Ben, your way with words is just amazing. Like you can put emotion to words. And I, 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 they were almost jealous that I could do it. And so I stepped into that and I was honoring it. And, and what the result I always felt when I spoke my words or when I did it in a way that was um, trying to help someone, I always gifted them a feeling that they couldn't feel. And they, I gave them the words to wrap it around. And so this idea of Ben Cloy being a farm boy from Wisconsin that can help change the world, like when I help, when I speak, part of my gift is being able for others to feel a feeling that they've never felt. And if I can do that repeatedly, that's something like when you can gift a feeling that someone is holding back from their, maybe their masculine is so strong, they can't feel what they need to feel. A very good example was I just did an episode last week on Frozen. And the Frozen franchise has the best example of a journey of the veteran of fear and running from your fears and stepping into it. The love. It's a great episode. If you want to check it out, I dissected both the first frozen and the second frozen. And it's a beautiful story of the power of vulnerability, the strength of love, all of it's right there. A friend of mine referred his, her husband to listen to that episode. That episode made him cry. And he told me that on Wednesday because that episode compelled him to call me. And we had a phone call for an hour and a half. And like, I could tell the way that I, was, I spoke in that episode and even in our phone call, he was putting words to feelings that he hadn't fully put together. And I did an episode on emotions like three months ago. It was 20 minutes. I considered 1.0 emotions. I don't think I did anything magical. But I had a Vietnam veteran email me. And he was, so he, he's after his kids are like 35. I think he was like in his 50s. And he emailed five parents paragraphs like this episode on emotions hit him that much five paragraphs and he said like the thesis of it was if i would have had your episode 30 years ago i would have been a better dad and that was like last november so like when i started putting all these breadcrumbs that's where i can step i can change the story is when i put all the pieces together this is how i can help change the world and i just needed to believe like believe and it's, it comes to the idea that i've always had what i needed inside to achieve my best life i just needed to believe and love everything about myself to get where I always wanted to go. Because if you don't, you're always going to second guess yourself. And so stepping into that belief is really completely like, I can't even tell you how much my life has changed in 2020 from losing my job, but then also my podcast saving my life because I've got something to work through it. I'm going through this 75 hard health challenge to transform and take coronavirus, the gap that, that changes in life and really step into that that full version of myself to go out there and start living that new story completely. Mm -hmm. You know, just to wrap that all up, I love that point you said about um, how you really stepped into your writing capability and your talent, because 
you know, I gotten that compliment a lot from my friends too, is like, I'm a very natural writer. Essays, beca- essays came naturally to me. A lot of people have asked me to write their LinkedIn bios or, you know, someone will be like, I've, I've written a lot of LinkedIn captions for people just for like fun. But then like they, they read my captions that, that are deep that I post on LinkedIn or sorry, that I post on yeah LinkedIn or Instagram. They're like, these are, these are so beautifully written. I get that compliment a lot, but it's never something I've stepped into either. And so I guess to all my listeners and even to myself, this is more to myself again, because obviously this podcast is for myself too. Like if you have a talent that people say you're good at, step into it. And for me, that would be a lot of my writing. Like I don't write creatively on the side. I don't do that because it's not something that I think about myself being good at all that often. It's not really something that I I try to do, but if I do it, I do it really well. Um, So, you know, just everyone that's listening and again to myself, just like if someone tells you you're good at something, you know, you don't have to believe them obviously, but if they say that you move them with something, I think that's a lot different than being good at something. Being gifted and being good are very different things. And if you are ever in the position where you're told that you're gifted, step into it like Ben just said, because I thought that was really powerful. The, the, I, if you think of like the I have a dream speech, that speech was just words. There was nothing special about the words. They were just words like any other words that are spoken in the English language. But the words put the way they were changed generations forever. And that's the power of words. And so when you step in, when someone says you've got a power with words, you literally have the power to move a mountain for someone. And that's what Martin Luther King did that day. That's why it's what Abraham Lincoln did with his emancipation proclamation. If you go to DC, there's words solidified in stone forever. Those words were no different than any other words. And their stories are very similar to our stories. They just stepped into their power. And a lot of people don't. That's a beautiful way of putting it. And so Ben, to kind of close off, what is one piece of advice that you want to pass down to future generations? I think the one piece of advice that is kind of the catalyst that helped all of this come up is the amount of opportunity that you feel in life, your life is directly proportional to the amount of strangers that you talk to daily. That when you talk to strangers, you get a reflection of yourself back, good or bad. And the more reflections you get, the more steps that you can take. And the more outward you are with those thoughts and conversations, the less you're inward. And when you can keep gifting yourself outward, that in itself will bring the best version of yourself out. But you got to keep talking to strangers. And if you don't feel like you have opportunities in your life, it's directly proportional to the amount of strangers you're talking to because you're always one conversation away from something amazing coming into your life. That is so true. And man, to all my friends that make fun of me for enjoying talking to strangers more than I like talking to my friends, that one's for you because I get roasted all the time for talking to people in Starbucks lines or talking to people at concerts or talking to people at like games because they're just like, Luke, why do you just like, that's you, their ego saying they don't want to admit it. Yeah. I'm like, why Why do you like talking to strangers? Like when you have your friends here, I'm like, I don't know. Strangers are, are just as interesting as you, if not more, because I, I don't know them yet and I know who you are. So I love that piece of advice. But Ben, why don't you kind of tell everyone where they can find you, how they can listen to your podcast, how they can get in contact with you and just share, you know, give a little pitch about yourself. So my website is militaryveterandad.com. The mission is to bring every dad, military dad home back to their families. The language I use is for military dads, but I've often been told that it, it resonates with so many. I have quite a few women listeners that listen to kind of try to figure out their husbands. So if anything resonated, I encourage you to check out. I have a Fatherhood Friday, an interview show on Monday. Easiest way, if you want to hit me up and connect or talk about anything, Instagram is the best way. Drop me a, a DM. I love talking to people. I'm addicted to talking to strangers. And the one gift that I honor and give freely is the gift of friendship because I try to show up as a friend I wish I had in my life five years ago when I turned 30. 
Beautiful. Thank you so much, Ben. Thank you for so much for coming out. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Again, if you like this episode or you like the, the topics that we covered, please leave a review on iTunes as it does a lot for the show. Um, or reach out to me on Instagram at the Imperfect Pod. And I really got a lot of value out of this episode. There's so many things I wrote down. I couldn't even write all of them down that I'm going to turn into short clips afterwards or respond to. Ben dropped so much knowledge in this episode, and I thank him so much for stopping by. I appreciate you, Luke, and I appreciate the journey that you're on, and I can't wait for you to be able to rub it back in your friend's face of where you are at in your life because the amount of opportunities you created and the amount of people that know how awesome Luke West is. Thank you so much, Ben. That means the world to me. Thank you so much to everyone who tuned in to this week's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. Again, you can find Ben's podcast, The Military Veteran Dad, on Spotify and Apple. It's really good stories about men in the military and a lot more uh, kind of a niche focus of masculinity and, and manhood than, than mine in regards to being solely from the military, but still great, great content. You can also connect with him on LinkedIn at Ben Kiloy. You can also check out his website, militaryveterandad.com, where he's got lots of free courses, a community, uh, his podcast, some articles, as well as much more information about himself and podcast information for those looking to start their own as well. So I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, please leave a like or I guess the equivalent of a like on Apple by leaving a review and uh, a rating uh, on Spotify and Apple. Please hit the subscribe or follow buttons. It does a lot for me to understand who is listening and whatnot. And if you really liked it, reach out to me on LinkedIn or through my Instagram, The Imperfect Pod. I would love to hear what your thoughts are and very excited to continue sharing these stories, these men and their personalities and who they are as people with you all. And um, yeah, continue to keep getting better. And please let me know what kind of ideas and thoughts and comments that you're looking forward to for future episodes. And I'll try to uh, recruit people and and guests who could fit that need. Thank you again so much to, to everyone. Thank you again to my editor, Matt McClelland, who does all the editing for this podcast. I really appreciate it. And I'll see you all next week.